welcome to Talks at Advent, homilies and reflections given at the Church of the Advent, a Western Rite Orthodox mission in Atlanta, Georgia. Today's speaker is Stephen Brannan. Today is the Sunday in the octave of the Ascension, which was this past Thursday, and actually our Matins epistle reading was the Mass reading for the Feast of Ascension. It was that passage from Acts 1-1, uh, beginning in Acts 1-1. And so this is the Sunday following Ascension, but it's also the Sunday preceding Pentecost. So here we are right in the middle of Ascension and Pentecost, after Christ has ascended, before the Spirit has descended. And this, I think, gives us a unique opportunity for some special contemplation. Uh, For example, here's a question to contemplate. Why the wait in the first place? Why does it take 10 days after Christ ascends for the Holy Spirit to descend? And for that matter, uh, why did Jesus wait so long after his resurrection to ascend to the Father? Why why wait 40 days? And while we're at it, uh, have you ever wondered why it was the third day instead of the second day that Jesus rose from the dead? I mean, as the omnipotent God of all power doing this spiritual work that we call the harrowing of Hades, that shouldn't have taken so long. (laughs) You know, why did it take a full day? Uh, Was he really engaged and kept that busy for so long in his work after death that he wasn't able to get around to resurrecting until more than a full day later? I like these questions, not because I think there's much sense to them, (laughs) but actually just the opposite, because he's God and he can do anything he wants in any timing he wants. This leads us to the answer that the timing of these events isn't out of some necessity, but rather is out of his own will. Uh, So if he rose on the third day, ascended on the 40th, and sends the Spirit on the 50th, he does this on purpose, not on accident or out of necessity. And that means we can deduce that he does it for our benefit. So one of the ways that we benefit from this timing is that we perceive meaning in the numbers. Three days in the grave is because that way we know that he was definitely dead. He didn't pop back to life a few hours, you know, the next morning afterwards. That would have been too tempting to think maybe he didn't really die, as some people even try to to say to this day. But no, the universal witness is he was in the grave from Friday to Sunday morning. He was in the grave a long time. He was definitely dead. Three days to fulfill the prophecy of Jonah, the sign of Jonah that Jesus said to look for when people said, give us a sign. And he said, the only sign I'm going to give you is the sign of Jonah, as in Jonah being in the belly of a whale, a monster, for three days, Christ being in the belly of the monster of death for three days. Three days also for the Trinity, which would be revealed very soon. Also, the day of the resurrection was both the first day of the week and the long-awaited eighth day. It was important that he timed this to be resurrected on Sunday, the first and the eighth day. Now, 40 days of appearing to his disciples after the resurrection was to symbolize the journey of learning and changing that we see hearkening back to all the many periods of 40 throughout the scriptures, 40 years in the desert for the the Hebrews, 40 uh, days for Nineveh 
to change in Jonah's story. 40 days to mirror the 40 he spent in the desert after his symbolic death and resurrection in the Jordan River, now completed after his victorious actual death and resurrection. So he goes into the the Jordan River to symbolize his death and resurrection and immediately spends 40 days in the desert. Now, after his actual resurrection, death and resurrection, he spends 40 days in triumph and teaching. The Spirit descends on the 50th day uh, because, one, that was already the Jewish day of Pentecost, and on a very practical, pragmatic note, it was a great evangelistic timing because the city was full of of, uh, people crowded in there to celebrate Pentecost, and two, because Pentecost itself, uh, the word Pentecost meaning 50th, is perfect in its symbolism. 50 is a number for fullness, being 7 times 7 plus 1. So when the Spirit descends, the fullness of the revelation of God is made known, and the contemplation of God's economic work for our salvation is complete. That's why 50th, the fullness of Pentecost, is the perfect timing for the Spirit to come. And so the numbers here that God chooses for these actions teach us something about the actions themselves. But there's another reason I believe God chooses this timing, related still to teaching us things, but on a much more practical rather than symbolic purpose. And that is that it gives us time to dwell with these realities and to contemplate them. He didn't rush to get through all of his works of resurrection and ascension and the sending of the Spirit, but rather knowing that his church would be making these events, marking these events every year, he gave us time to celebrate them and to contemplate them and to teach about them. So now we have this opportunity today to contemplate the unique time between Ascension and Pentecost because God gave it to us. He providentially knew that as the church would be celebrating, it would have time, a Sunday in between Ascension and Pentecost, to talk about this. He wants us to have this time. So why? What is there to talk about? What is there to contemplate that's so interesting about this time? Well, I think it shows us something interesting about the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And this was pointed out by St. Gaudentius, uh, the Bishop of Brescia in Italy, back in the late 300s, early 400s. He was a contemporary and friend of St. John Chrysostom, and apparently himself was so holy and had such a, uh, was such a good teacher that while he was traveling around the Eastern Empire, the bishop in his home city of Brescia died, and the people refused to see anyone else elected as bishop except Gaudentius. So St. Ambrose and some other bishops in the area sent to call him back from his travels to be made bishop. Well, like most good bishops, he didn't want to be bishop. Uh, But the city made such a fuss about it and was causing so many problems that even the bishops of the east started to refuse communion to him unless he relented and traveled home to be made bishop. Now, Gaudentius wrote a homily about our gospel reading this morning that I think illuminates the special place we find ourselves in today. Firstly, he notes uh, what I've said about God's timing in all of his actions. He says, In his ineffable wisdom, the Son of God deigned to communicate step by step to his disciples an understanding of the truths of his saving faith, for their human hearts could not grasp it all at once. So he affirms that it was God's intentional purpose 
to spread these things out, to give the disciples time after the resurrection to learn about what resurrection life means, and time after the ascension of Jesus to learn what the ascension is about. And then he brings up a fascinating uh, fact about where the Father, the Son, and the Spirit are at all times in relation to this interesting time where the Son has ascended, the Spirit has not yet descended, the Father is on his throne. Where does that leave us? What, what, are, we, what are we dealing with here? He says that just because Jesus ascends, that doesn't mean that he's not still with us. And just because the Holy Spirit has not yet been sent, that doesn't mean that he wasn't already filling all things. Quote, But the Holy Spirit was not in heaven only, and not only upon earth. And neither would the Son so ascend into heaven as to forsake the earth. Neither did the Father alone possess the throne of heaven, where the Son is said to have returned, and where the Holy Ghost is said to have come from. For the most blessed prophet makes his acknowledgement to the Father, the most blessed prophet being uh, David in, in the Psalms. Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your face? If I ascend into heaven, you are there. If I ascend into hell, you are present. If I take my wings early in the morning and dwell in the othermost parts of the sea, there you are. This confession, likewise, he says, proclaims the undivided nature of the Trinity. I love this. Listen to this. Where shall I go, he says, from your spirit, from your paraclete, that is, whose fullness the apostles receiving made known through the mouth of Peter, the fulfillment of the divine promise, proclaiming, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel, in the last days I shall pour out my spirit on all flesh. So St. Gaudentius sees in this uh, verse, from Psalm 139, when the prophet David says, where shall I go from your spirit? This is calling forth the fact that the spirit is everywhere, and especially on Pentecost when it's poured out on all flesh. Then he says, and where shall I flee from your face? Now this is interesting. I looked for a lot of different uh, translations of this verse, uh, verse 7 in Psalm 139 to, uh, to sort of see what this word means, because Gaudentius points out when the psalm says, where shall I go from your spirit and where can I flee from your face? The spirit and the face of God is essentially the Holy Spirit and the Son, the Christ, who is said to be the very, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And a lot of translations don't actually use the word face, they use the word presence. I was, uh, most translations actually say presence, and so I was wondering where, where uh, Gaudentius got this uh, idea of, of the face, if he had a, a bad translation or if it was just kind of a, a whatever. But I actually looked up the Hebrew word, and the Hebrew word is indeed panim, face. It's more often translated in face, even though in this particular passage it ends up being presence. So Gaudentius knew what he was talking about. So he says, commenting on this, and where shall I flee from your face? From the Son, therefore, who is the face of the Father, since the Father is seen in the Son, According to the words of our Lord and Savior himself, who when Philip besought him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us, the Lord answered, Have I been with you so long, and have you not known me? Philip, he that seeth me, seeth the Father also. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me? 
he goes on, neither must the Holy Spirit be regarded as separated from the Father, whose spirit he is, nor the Son be believed to be separated from him whose face he is, and right hand, and power, and wisdom. He does not say, if I ascend into heaven, your spirit is there, or your face, or your spirit are there, but you, he says, you are present. So when addressing the Father, the psalmist says, where can I go to escape your spirit? Where can I go to not be in front of your face? If I go anywhere, you are there. In other words, he's equating in the presence, the spirit, the face, that is the word and and son of God, and the father himself. Father, son, and Holy Spirit are all said to be together and present with each other in all places, in all times, in this psalm but so that a clear faith and separate belief in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost might be given to those who believe, it is accordingly written that the Father sends both the Son and the Holy Ghost, since neither he who sins nor he who sent can be believed to be God if there is a place where he is and a place where he is not. So he's making the point that all of them are said to be everywhere, and so we know that all of them are God, but at the same time, so that we know that they are separate in their personhood, in their persons. There's language of being sent and sending, so that we know that they aren't all identical. St. Gaudentius, very early on, is making some very clear distinctions about what uh, would be fought over for the next couple centuries in the ecumenical councils and among different heretics trying to the heretics simplify God and and make it easier to understand. And the church always pushing back and saying, no, we're not going to understand this. This is a mystery, but this is what's been revealed to us. It's there all the way back in the Psalms. It's there from the words of the Lord himself. So in addition to God is pointing out that the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are in all places at all times and that they are all one together, He also points out the fact, and Jesus says this in this discourse in John, from which we're reading today, that if we are in Christ, that we also participate in that communion of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. This, I think, is the unique lesson that we learn today, when Christ is ascended, but not absent, when the Holy Spirit has yet to be descended, and yet is already here filling all things, when Christ returns to the throne of the Father, but had never left it. When the Father sending the the Son to us and then sending the Holy Spirit to us, nevertheless is with us himself. When Christ takes on our flesh, he brings us into the communion of the Holy Trinity. And so we, since the incarnation, also participate in the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit's, um, there's a Greek word for this that I can't remember off the top of my head, but uh, it it was used by the fathers going way, way back to talk about this communion of of, uh, the three persons of the Trinity and in humanity's participation of that. Sometimes we use the word co-inherence now. Our participation in this life of the Trinity in which all three persons remain distinct and unique and yet all of them share the same life. That life is now ours. So on this Sunday, following Ascension and preceding Pentecost, when Christ is ascended, we must remember that Christ is yet present, that he's not absent. 
And when we wait for the Holy Spirit to descend in power in a special and unique way, we can't think that he's not already filling all things and giving all things life. And the Father to whose throne Christ in the ascension takes our humanity and exalts our nature so that we can now reach the very throne of God. This is, this is the, the main point that uh, I preached about on the Feast of Ascension and that all the fathers, it's the first thing that they mention when they talk about the ascension is that our nature is now exalted. That's the first thing they talk about. So that's the point, obviously, that they want to get across mostly for us to know that our nature has been exalted to the throne of God, meaning previously we couldn't have communed with God in that way, but now that Christ has taken our nature there, we can. So with all of this, with, with God on the throne, yet giving existence to all things, with the Holy Spirit in heaven, with the Father yet to proceed on this day, uh, as we wait for him to proceed forth, uh, be sent from the Father, he yet is giving and animating life to all things. And the Son, who has ascended back to the throne of the Father with our nature, is yet still in all things giving it its, its structure, its uh, essence. The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are in all things and in each other. And we, now that Christ has taken on our nature and exalted it to the Father, is we are also in that life of the Trinity. So this week, I want us to give thanks for two things. Give thanks for the timing of God, for his providence in setting up these actions in the timing that he has, uh, both in order to uh, teach us things about the, the theological significance of them through the symbolism of the numbers that he chose, but also in just making sure that we had enough time to contemplate them and deal with them. That's one thing to give thanks for. And the second thing I want us to give thanks for is the knowledge that God is everywhere, always filling all things, and yet is specifically doing certain things for us. Christ, in all things, has yet ascended with our nature to the Father, the Holy Spirit in all things yet will descend to give us special power. And the Father on the throne is yet lending us his very existence and life. That's why as Christians, everything is Trinitarian for us. And that's why after the Feast of Pentecost, uh, in the East they actually celebrate the reality of the Trinity on the Feast of Pentecost. In the West, we, we uh, take a week after Pentecost to... Uh, specifically dwell on and celebrate the reality of the Holy Trinity. That's why this Trinitarian theology is so rich during this time of year, because of the unique actions of each of the persons of the Godhead, and yet because of their unitedness in all of those actions. There's a lot to contemplate there. Uh, so let's not be lazy intellectually or in our prayers, but let's give ourselves over to that contemplation and see what blessings God will give us for it. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Talks at Advent. Homilies and reflections given at the Church of the Advent, a Western Rite Orthodox mission in Atlanta, Georgia.